Welcome to Pet Professionals Unleashed at Work and Home. I'm Colleen Pilar. You're about to discover what it means to give yourself the same level of care and compassion that you give animals every day. This show explores the stories of pet professionals just like you, who are making the lives of animals and people better while taking care of their own physical, mental, and emotional needs. So if you want more joy in your life, then hang with me, because this podcast provides the skills, tools, and support that you need to feel your best at work and at home. My guest today is Dr. Lisa Radasta, a veterinary behaviorist in Florida, and I'm so glad she could join us today. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm wondering, could you give us a little bit of your background bio, the, the, the brief version? Who are yeah. you and what do you do? <laughs> um, well, the who is I'm a mom, right? That's always my who, even if I'm sitting in a boardroom with five older men controlling the room. I always say I'm a mom first because that's really reminds me of who I am. I'm also a board, board certified veterinary behaviorist, which you can think of as a veterinary psychiatrist. I've had so far, even though I'm only 51, the pleasure of doing lots of stuff, research and mentoring residents and seeing lots of cases and uh, lecturing a lot and writing books and, and stuff like that. And the topic that we decided to talk about today is validation, because you and I had a conversation in which we were talking about how uh, a woman you knew was really seeking external validation. And you said, oh, that is the path to unhappiness. You need to find ways to do it from the inside. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That particular moment was with a friend of mine that I also work with. And it was in that moment that I realized that she was so tied into her work experience that she couldn't see her, even see her accomplishments. Like for example, just give you a personal example. So I love to run. I've had a lifetime of injuries and then returning to running and it is my love. And when I run with my husband, who's very social During the run, he encourages me, you're doing a great job. And I've been married for 21 years and I dated him for seven and a half years. I just the other day, I said, that does not help me. That doesn't (laughs) help me. Because I know inside, if I'm doing a great job, I'm looking at my watch. I know my pace. I know my cadence. I know my heart rate. I know exactly the parameters. I know if I'm doing a good job. When you give me positive reinforcement at the end of my run, it means something. When you say, yeah, man, he always says you're a beast, which I know some women may not think that's a compliment to me. It's like a huge compliment. <laughs> you're a beast. I'm like, yeah. And we fist pump, right? So another, another example is my one of my doctors who um, is my friend. She's a come for Thanksgiving, but she's my friend. She's my doctor. She works for me. And so she had a fire at her house. So she called me as an employer. I won't be at work tomorrow. I'm like, what? Of course you won't. No, you will not be at work. And what can <laughs> I do? And she said, you, she's so, you know, horrified and crying. You can drive my cat with smoke inhalation to the hospital. Now the hospital that we choose for our pets is one where we work. It's an hour from her house. It's an hour and some from my house. So I said, okay, I'm getting in my car. Got out of my pajamas. It was at night. I got in my car, I drove her cat. She thanked me, which was very nice. But as I was driving to be to the hospital, I knew 
it was the right thing. I was already completely validated and nobody needed to tell me, nobody needs to say in public. I had another friend who thanked me many times. You're such a great person. You're such a great person. It felt uncomfortable for me. I'm like, I'm really not a great person. There was an opportunity to do the right thing. I did the right thing. I know it's the right thing. I appreciate a thank you. That's that's also the right thing to do. But I don't need that thank you to understand that my behavior was right at that moment. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, you're really living by your values and you're clear on what they are. And so you know that you are a person who goes and gets someone's cat and drives it to the hospital when that's needed. And there's no question in your mind that that's what you do. And there is a a comfort in that. I think one of the challenges for people sometimes is that they, while they have values, absolutely, they aren't as clear about what they are for them. And so they're not using them as their own metric of their behavior. Like, am I doing the right thing for me in this moment? They aren't always sure. And often the question is, am I doing the right thing for you in this moment? And that gets really tricky. It does. And I have a a wonderful, giving, generous friend who very much measures her worth from the external environment. And I see her frequently get caught up in the push-pull. My friend, so I, I, you know, I love my friend. My friend wants this of me. I'm going to overextend. I'm going to do whatever it takes. If it degrades my quality of life, I'm going to be that because I need her to love me. And I think the only way I'm going to get her to love me is if I be that, if I am that, if that makes sense. And so I can't preach to other people about how to have a perfect life because I don't have that. I can just say that you will never make another person 100% happy. They have to be happy. And if it takes that thing for that person to love you, they mustn't love you. Like that's just not how it works. And so what I see in some people that I'm friends with is they're never really truly confident and happy because it takes, so the external environment is fleeting, right? Right. The internal environment is 100% there. When I am my, I'm living with myself. I ain't living with anybody else 100% of the time, right? <laughs> I only have what's in my head, what's in my heart, what I physically do. But my daughter gives me a hug and that lasts for that moment. And actually a hug from a 13 year old might last longer than that moment. <laughs> I might really hang on to it for a day, but it's still fleeting. It's still fleeting. It disappears. You don't hear it any longer. You always hear your internal voice. So I'm not saying that we don't want to give positive reinforcement. I still have the thank you card that my first resident wrote to me. I was doing my job, but she thanked me. I still have it. I still have things on this glass magnet board behind me from 30 years ago, from from vet school 20 years ago. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if that's all you have, it will be as fleeting as the paper it's written on. Right. Right. And I think that's a really nice distinction to make there, that all of those external pieces are lovely um, and actually can be absorbed even more when your internal pieces are in place. Uh, Just recently, I was talking to a client and she said she had gotten some lovely compliments in the last week, but she didn't really remember what they were because her brain was kind of like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. They're talking about me. <laughs> and that that part was because her internal pieces weren't there. She, d- she didn't 
show up saying, I know I did a good job and, and then also received the compliment from the client. She showed up going, I hope I did a good job, received right. a compliment from the client, appreciated that it existed, but could not remember what it was. And so that's um, such a tragedy, such a loss. And whereas yeah. you, in your case, the examples you shared were uh, feedback from others that you were able to internalize and savor and really go, yeah, that's just one extra little cherry on top of, of work I I felt was true and right inside. Right. And I tell my daughter, and I don't, you, you, you think, you hope they hear you, right? I tell her there's a difference between humility and self-deprecation. We don't self-deprecate here, but we're humble. And that's hard, especially hard for me, because my mama gave me the gift of overconfidence, Italian Catholic mama. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, you want to be a basketball player? You're only five feet tall. You're a woman. You be it. You can be it. Don't give up. Like she was that mom, right? So she gave me that gift and sometimes it's not a gift. But so my point is yesterday with my, one of my colleagues who's so good, she's so good. And I said to her, I'm going to just make up a name. So I'm going to say the dog's name. So Fluffy's mom was talking to me yesterday about you and she went off. You are a miracle worker. We all know she doesn't need to come see us. We've told her to not make more appointments. She insists on seeing you once a month. I told her in her last recheck, you're good, man. You don't need us. She insists. And so I'm trying to tell her, you're so good. And she says to me, well, that's a compliment for you. And I was like, no, honey, no, she didn't say it about me. No, it's about you. She's like, but you trained me. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you're, that's not it. The training that I gave you was a decade ago. This is all you. And just, yeah. not, you know, yes, we want to be humble. If we want to be humble, right? We want to be grateful. But that's, and that self-deprecation, I think, comes from a lack of belief mm -hmm. in that statement. It's a lack of belief, I think, of not as, I'm a dog psychiatrist, not a human psychiatrist, okay? But my observation is that that's a belief that that's not true, that what you're saying can't be true, or that what you're saying can't be true without the help of someone else. I couldn't have gotten here on my own, right? right? No, no. Right. Yeah, I just did a session on imposter syndrome, and it it is a little bit of that piece where where they will explain away, uh, they, <laughs> I've done it myself, we, those of us yeah. who have had these feelings, explain away the compliment or something like in this case where she said, oh well, that's a compliment to you because you trained me. Well, in this case, the person you were talking with did the work to learn what she learned. So. Isn't it wonderful that she got good training, but she showed up to get good training. She found someone who could give her good training and she learned from the good training. And now she spent a decade doing good work. It's not really about the good training. That's a factor, but that is not the reason this lovely compliment came. And it's, it's so hard for people. Again, this, this part about accepting it in, um, absorbing it and really being able to hear what, what you did well. And I think it's, particularly common, well, maybe in every field, but certainly we see it in, in the pet professionals because there is this idea of overextending yourself to give because our, our clients are both human and animal and the animals don't have a voice. And so for so many of, of, of us, 
we become the voice for the animal, which means that maybe we have to give ourselves until we're empty because somebody needs to do it. And having a better sense of this internal validation, I think it actually made people less exhausted, less overextended, and more mm-hmm. able to do the work they care so desperately about. Such a little twist on the logic. Yeah. And you know that you point that out. And I think this is something that might have sparked our conversation. We were talking before because I don't suffer compassion fatigue. I don't know why. I'm not saying I'm bragging about it. I don't totally understand it, but I don't suffer from it. And I, I can't tell you why, but I guess, could that be maybe you with your training had tied it into that? I felt internally validated. I just understand that I can't control what other people do. I have no control over that. I can bring them to, you know, I can bring the horse to water, but I cannot make him drink. And I can't, I see, cause I've been doing this long enough just working with human beings as pet parents. I see decisions being made. I see mm-hmm. people telling me I don't have the money to go to a dog trainer and they're carrying a $5,000 Chanel bag. And I say, really? Mm, okay. No, it's a decision that you're making about importance. If it's not important to you, how can I possibly, how can I possibly affect this situation? And it's allowed me to be more frank and say, okay, I get that. There's not money for that. That's cool. That's cool. But then this is the outcome we're going to get. So I don't brood about how I won't get the outcome that I want, because this is, I've been honest. If we don't do this, we might still have a good outcome but we won't have that original outcome that we really wanted. Managing expectations is super, super important to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I compart, maybe I do compartmentalize. Again, not a human psychologist. I may not know all of the words. I can just tell you that I don't take that home. What I take home might be failures on my part, but I don't take home the Misha Goss of others. I just don't. Right. The thoughts that were coming up for me while you were talking were actually related to validation that for so many people, their definition of success is outside their control. It's this external validation piece. So for many of them, success is that the client gets the result the client came in wanting. And when the client says, I can't, I can't pay for that, that takes away the professional's chance for success. I can't be successful now. Whereas because you are so clear on what your role is and how you deliver what you deliver, your success, regardless of what the client decides, is did I show up? Did I communicate clearly? Did I give them all the information they needed to make a decision? And that is a huge factor in reducing your risk for compassion fatigue because you're not carrying the weight of the final result, all those variables you can't control but only of the variables you can control, the ones that are yours to control. Yeah, and that's the way I would like my doctors that I train to also measure their success. Of course, you want every pet to be 100% better, or you would not be a good doctor, like, of course, right? Mm -hmm. However, you can only control this much. And one of the things I try to teach them and I'm very good at it professionally. I'm not as good personally. I try, I'm trying personally. Professionally is to pivot because stuff happens. You have treatment. It's going really well. Client comes in. I, I, I will tell you, we have had two clients 
in the past month lose their babies in pregnancy. This oh, is, wow. it's, yes. And we're having baby prep appointments with them. One dog is very aggressive. So we're working with how we're going to keep him in a safe space. He's never going to be with the baby. This is hard work. And they just, you know, lost the baby and they're coming to the right. appointment and your heart is broken for them. Right. Yeah. And in one, the husband is fighting with the wife. And uh, anyway, the point is it, it, it felt bad, but what I try to teach them is pivot. The circumstances have changed. This isn't that I'm giving up. This is a, I'm going this way. I'm headed in this mm-hmm. direction now, and we're going to do what it takes to reach this lesser goal or this new goal or this short-term goal. So we have to pivot. Things change. Clients can't do things. They cannot afford it. It's not a financial choice. It's not, the money's not there. So pivot. Right. Find another way to get it done. If you can pivot, if you can be present and pay attention during that appointment, if you can be honest, if you can be frank and empathetic and, de- and deliver that treatment plan, you, you will have done your best. It's when we lie and say, you know, your, your dog is going to be 100% better. No, it's not unless we do all of these things. Or when we lie the other way and say your dog can't get better, right? So it's just about being honest, being present, showing up, being able to pivot and, and redirect your attention to a new goal. And that keeps the stress level for me and hopefully for my doctors to some extent down. Mm-hmm. I love the phrase showing up. It's one I use a lot with clients and we talk about showing up for yourself and that ties in so much with this too. Can you tell me one way that you consistently show up for yourself? Yeah, I take inventory at the end of the day and I, uh, so I'm lying in bed, lights are out, like it's truly the end of the day. And then I say, I, I know that the, the new it's not new anymore, but I know that the lingo now is uh, what did you do well and what could you do better still? That is not a lingo I grew up with. So I say, what were my highs and lows, right? So what did I do well? What didn't I do well? Because I'm honest with myself. It's not what I did well and what I could do better still. Some stuff I just sucked at today. And for me to sugarcoat it, my brain doesn't accept sugarcoating. So I say, what, did you, what, did, what were your highs and lows? And every high and low is rated the same, okay? So if you had a high, if you had one high and you helped a patient and you helped a lady who was crying because she lost her baby to understand her dog better and to get redirected back into helping her dog, there's your high. Your low was a car accident. They're rated one to one. So I list all my highs and I list all my lows. And then almost always, 99% of the time, your day is going to come out rated good. <laughs> right? So at the end of the day, because what I would do is think about, Oh, that one thing. Oh, that one thing. Oh my God. And then that one thing becomes this giant thing. It's not a giant thing, right? It's not that big a deal because all I would found that because I'd wake up the next morning and I'd be like, it doesn't feel so big now. Just feels kind of regular, right? A good night's sleep changes your whole perspective. And so that's what I do. I take myself inventory and then the day wasn't as bad as I thought. Well, how could I have done those other things that I sucked at today better? And it maybe it's just like, today was a bad day. I usually do this pretty well. So I'll just set that aside or I can try this tomorrow. And it just puts everything into perspective. Yeah. And it's a great way of looking at growth. So how could I do something better is a much gentler question than why did I screw that up? 
So one yeah. takes you forward and, and puts you in a success seat for the next time. And the other sets off that spin cycle of I didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. And, and hurts you. I like it the one-to-one -one ratio yeah. too, piece. It, it, I would bet for a lot of people when they added up their day, their numbers wouldn't come out in the weighted to the positive simply because they haven't had the practice of looking for those positives and, and holding them and remembering them. So just the mere fact that you set aside a little bit of time to do this regularly so that your brain pays attention throughout the day. And then again, at night can just sort of cycle through the day and go, Oh, that was good. And that was good. And that was good is such a powerful way of retraining the brain's negativity bias. Um, simple and super effective. I love that you do that. Thank you. And everything counts, by the way. I remember to order bamboo fertilizer. Check. That's a good thing. <laughs> like everything counts. Every little thing counts. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really good because it's um, it's such a simple accounting. You're not trying to weigh things differently, but it it's putting you know, remembering to order bamboo fertilizer matters. Like you're like, that was one of the things on your mind and it got done. Yay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Every little bit of it counts. And that's really important that we take every little win and consider it a win because there's lots of people who aren't ordering bamboo fertilizer today and their bamboo is not going to be pretty. Right. So I got it. Done. That's it. <laughs> Perfect. So in your, in your work in the field, you've certainly encountered a lot of pet pros who have more trouble with using their own internal validation. Can you tell me what you think some of the downsides are of that on, on a bigger scale? Like in a clinic, if a bunch of people have trouble using internal metrics, what would the ripple effects of that be? Well, so I've seen in some of my colleagues that they end up in a black hole because they're not getting the constant reinforcement that they need to feel good. And that causes day after day after day to go down into the, the black hole. And for one of my colleagues who got promoted, I said to her, I just want to let you know, when you go into leadership, you're going to have to self-reinforce because the people that are under you will almost never, almost never say anything positive to you. It's not that they don't like you. That's not the point. It's that the, the positive reinforcement doesn't travel from bottom to top. It travels from top to bottom. It just is reality. So she was in leadership about three months and she said to me, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. I'm like, yeah, you got to own it, baby, because they're never going to tell you. So I see that really happening. And I also see, and again, I, I'm not a human psychologist or psychiatrist. But what I see happening now, and this might be off topic, I see ownership of um, how we feel as a shield, as a badge of honor, as a wall. So I have a friend who suffers from depression, suffers deeply. And she's actually the friend that first taught me this is what depression really is. It is a medical disease. It affects your whole body. She really taught me because I knew it on a personal level. Right? I could see it on a personal yeah. level. She says, you know, I suffer from depression. She doesn't say I suffer from depression. So I can't do this whole list of things. 
What I see some of my younger colleagues doing is attaching themselves to a label. Look, labels are good because they help us communicate. If I say dog, you know what a dog is, right? Okay. But labels have their limitations because they don't always have exactly the right definition. Do I mean a chihuahua or a great thing? Okay. So she takes that emotion, she takes that mental disease, that physical disease of depression, says, I have it. It's not a reason why she can't achieve, but she accepts that it's there. It's a part of who she is. What I see my younger team members doing is saying, I'm anxious. I could never do that. And I think, okay, it's good to realize you have anxiety. Like it's good to seek help. I see them saying, I can't take that phone call with that client. I'm too anxious. I can't learn that new behavior. I have anxiety. So you have to identify how you feel. I think that's really important. You have to seek help. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I see a lot of attachment that then limits. And I say to myself, how will you achieve if you never push those limits? And I should say my friend with depression is that is to me inspirational. She got on the right medication. She has an amazing counselor. She meets, meets with every single week, like her ability I told her, you have come from the depths of hell to achieve what you have achieved. My respect for her is huge. Yes. But I see them, these young girls doing is attaching themselves to something and identifying that label as them. That is the I and who I am. Right. And it's stopping them. It's just stopping them. Right. And that is language matters. I mean, that we... We are seeing a shift in in how people are talking about a variety of disabilities now where we used to use it as a label. And now we say a person with Mm -hmm. this, whatever, um, to try to separate those pieces. Because when when we identify I am anxious, I have anxiety, it um, there's a, a difference even between I am anxious and I have anxiety. Like right. even those two pieces are a different level of, of separation That's from it. Right. But your piece to tie back to your list at night where you said like, if something didn't go well today, how could I do better tomorrow? Same thing when we have a circumstance that's a little bit out of our control, the anxiety, well, not in some cases, it's completely out of our control, but well, I guess it's partially out of our control. Let's go with partially. Um, like for your friend with depression, she can't just decide I'm not going to have depression. She can decide I do have depression. What am I going to do to set myself up for success? And like you said, your respect for her is enormous because she's taken all those steps and some of them probably didn't work. Like she she tried a medication Mm -hmm. and it didn't work. Oh yeah. And then she took the next step of saying, this one doesn't work for me. Now I need to try something else instead of just saying it doesn't work. There's no choices here. Right. And that's what I want these young girls. And maybe I'm trying to be their mom and I shouldn't. I don't want them to ever say I can't because of, I want them to say I have this, but this is not the I and who I am. So I have a beautiful friend. Her head of hair is like Beyonce. It's the most fantastic head of hair, JLo. Like, and it's not a weave. (laughs) It's the most gorgeous. It's her crown and glory. She's amazing. And she just got diagnosed with quite a horrible thing that is going to cause her to lose some of mm. her hair. Yeah. And so she was nice enough to share. 
and she's devastated. And first of all, she said, people told her it's on the, no, it's how you look on the inside. And she and I were both like, that's bleep, right? You bleep it out. What we said. <laughs> no, how you look does, it does matter to you. And it is important to you. And, you know, she said, I'm devastated. And I said, today, you should be devastated. Today, you should cry. Today, we will not be hopeful. But tomorrow, we will be hopeful. And I checked in with her. And I said, how you doing? I wanted to send this little link to you. I found about this little thing that might help you. And she, and she said, I'm doing fine. I'm in solution mode. I cried yesterday. And today, I found a support group, women just like me who are beautiful. I found these uh, this information about how to change the way you look. Like that is that disease is not going to be her. It's not going to be the eye. It's going to be something she has, and we have to have the day to be devastated. Yes. But the next day, you have to wake up and you have to say, "What solutions do I have?" How can I live with these solutions? What can I do? So I admire her so much. And will she have some days where she'll cry? Yes, she will cry. But crying is not the I. The I is defined by her strength, her movement forward with purpose and strength. That's the I of who I am, right? That's what she's saying, right? So that's kind of where I want women to come from if they can. We can't do it every day, right? We do it the best we can. And allowing the emotion to be what it is, you know, to have the day to cry and to recognize there will be another one. You know, it's not like you go, you get this limited period of time and now you're done with that, but you can't stay there. But to say when you're feeling that, feel it. Like f- life has so many difficult moments. It's not all sunshine and roses and nobody is ever going to make it that way. So when we're having a tough time, acknowledging the tough time, feeling the tough time, and then picking yourself up and saying, what comes next? What are the next pieces? All of that ties together really powerfully because what what happens to so many people is this the, the running from the negative emotion. So they're so busy, like, I'm looking at all these things to distract myself from the fact that I'm really grieving this, this loss, this experience, this thing that feels so unfair because it is unfair. And like, like who wants that? And, and that's just how it turns out. So showing up is she's showing up for herself and you showed up for her in a way that was really powerful and supportive. And that matters. It does. And I think that it feels for those of us, and maybe this does, you would know better than I do, tie back somehow to the suicide rate we're seeing with veterinarians and compassion fatigue, that it feel, it can feel, it has felt to me many times before I kind of reached a place where I could understand it better, the emotion feels like failure. Yeah. And that could partially be because of just the way I was raised, right? Emotion in a, well, Screaming and yelling was okay, but crying was not allowed. And my dad had a crying towel and he would say, you got two minutes on a towel. Let's get it going. And in a way he made us very tough, but in a way, uh, emotions of that way that weren't anger were wrong. Right. So I don't know why other women might feel this way, but maybe it's because that emotion feels like a failure. So the difference is going to be, when is it a failure? When do you, because one of my friends always says, I'm going to push through. 
I push through, we all push through, but when is it you shouldn't push through? That is very difficult. So as a, as a runner, and I hope to get back to marathon, marathon distance, I have pushed through a lot of stuff, but I also know when I have to stop when my body is like, you may not go farther. And I had a friend who rides her bike and she was out on, it was the first really hot day we've had this year in Florida. We're hot, we're humid. You really can't be riding your bike at noon without tons of hydration and tons of nutrition on you. And she just wasn't ready. And so she bonked, right? Which means she hit a wall physiologically. She was starting to get dizzy. She uh, was not sweating. She was completely dehydrated. She had to stop. She wouldn't stop. This, she, I wasn't with her. She was telling me this story later. Finally, a friend that was with her was like, you can't go farther. And she said, I don't want to be rescued. And her friend was like, you're going to die here. So you're going to stop now. And we're going to go get the car and we're going to come back for you. And she allowed it. But there's some, we get caught up in how hard do I push? And I'm a pusher. I push hard, of course. But there's a point where your body says no, no. And it's not about a failure. It's really about understanding who you are at that moment what you need at that moment. And that's different than what she will need on her bike tomorrow because tomorrow she's going to come prepared. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not Mm -hmm. a failure to sometimes need help. It's just smart to ask for help when you need it. You see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. And I love that her line was, I don't want to be rescued because it, it points to that difficulty that we have in accepting help. Like we're happy to give it. I will help you, but I don't want to need it. I don't want to be the person who needs it. And mm-hmm. that piece also, I think, is tied very much into the external validation piece of, of how we see ourselves, if we're being a drain mm-hmm. on others versus if we're helping others. And, and the reality is if we can resource ourselves and do a good job for ourselves, then we have more energy to show up and help others in these moments that we need. And we can also recognize when she bonked, it's okay to turn to her friend and go, whew, I think I need a little help right here. Before it got to the point where her friend had to be so worried and insistent. Um, right. And I think too, it's about who who is the I. So I'm reading a book now that I don't love, but I have learned from. It's called The New A New Earth. Um, and so what, one of the things I have learned is this I, who is I? Who is that, right? And for a long time, my husband, whose uh, love language is acts of service, there's no doubt. He wants to do anything. If I'm just fumbling with something, it's like, would you like me to help? Would you like me to help? And so I took that for a long time as, you don't think I can do it. Now I'm going to do it. If I have to spend an hour opening (laughs) this pickle drawer, I'm going to spend an hour, ah, right? Like, how stupid is that? How stupid is that? And, but I did that really for a very long time. And then I recognized, not because I recognized at that point his love language, but more that I recognized this is wasting my time. I'm, I have a limited, energy is limited. Because when you're young, you say, I have endless energy. And you probably do. Maybe you do. Mm-hmm. But as you age a little, you realize, and you have a child or children, and you have a job, and you have a hobby, and you have this and that, you realize that there's a limited number you know, ounces of energy in a day. Why can't he just get the cup from the top shelf? He's six, two, I'm five feet, get the cup. So now that I've developed that, 
I leave all the stuff that goes in the top shelves on the counter when it comes out of the dishwasher. I leave it on the counter under the cabinet. I don't even go get the stepladder, right? And he then comes along and does the thing that he is the only person in this house that's tall enough to reach those shelves without a stepladder. So not only have I made my life easier, but I've also helped my husband to feel really good about himself. I don't know if he'd say that putting the cups up on the top shelf makes him feel good, (laughs) but it does. It does. But because I was so wrapped up in my, what I would call defensiveness, it's defensiveness, right? Like I am good enough. You're saying I'm not good enough. He's not saying that. He's just saying he wants to help me. So seeing that through the lens of defensiveness has controlled a lot of my life. I am just now learning, learning, not there, how to not be defensive because it's so innate, right? Right. Because the I, my ego, and I don't mean ego as I'm a great person, like your internal ego is telling you, oh, you could have done that. You have better prove it. No, not necessarily. It's it's fine, right? It's not that I could have done it. It's that it's easier for him to do it and everybody's happy. If, you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And I think it's really important. And another thing that you've said a couple of times here that I think it's also really important is that there's no end zone for this. You know, like, you're still learning. You will always be still learning. Things will always be evolving and changing and growing. Um, But being open to it makes it go faster and further than the resistant part. You know, when, when we're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't like it. We don't get to, to grow or change nearly as much, but when we kind of go, Oh, wow, this is, this is what I'm doing here on this planet. The I that is, I is going to grow and change and evolve and have emotions good and bad and have experiences with others, good and bad, and have moments when I feel great and moments when I feel terrible and moments when I feel helpful and moments when I feel not. (laughs) That's all part of the journey. And it's all important. It's all valuable. And none of it takes away from the inherent worthiness of the I, you know, that you don't have to prove ourselves or justify ourselves or some of the things that we spend so much time doing. Um, trying to get that yeah. external piece. Yeah. And how do you, how do you as a human being find the space? So in other words, I'm growing and getting better. Does that mean I'm no good? Does that yeah. mean I'm not good enough inherently because things that are good enough never change, right? Those stay the same. And so it's really hard in the beginning of my growth process. It's hard to say, But if I'm getting better, that means I suck now. No, that's not what it means. What it means is that I don't live in a vacuum. That's what it means, is that the behavior of the world around me is changing, whether it's the little precious bird who built a nest in my palm, for which I was grateful that day. I have a gratitude every morning. I say, thank you for something. That precious little bird's nest makes me so happy. And that mama bird with such an attitude, right? But that changes my environment. That means I'm going to sit outside more. So- That might mean that I have to change something about the way I work, right? So my environment's changing. I'm changing with it. I'm adapting. I'm evolving. It doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. And I think also there's the other piece of the coin where I justify everything I do is right. I'm not being good. I'm not being successful. I'm not being helpful. I'm not achieving but I'm so good at everything. And that must be right. Like, so the difference between (laughs) overconfidence and arrogance, it must be right. And that is, 
from what I'm learning from the books I'm reading and the podcast and everything is for me personally, it's a point of defensiveness. It's a point of the people who are so defensive, which I tell my colleagues, I have a PhD in defensiveness. Really. I was really good at it for decades. So for those people, it really comes from not feeling good enough. Really having to prove constantly to the outside world and really to yourself that you're good enough. You just have to know that you're good enough. And that is a challenge. I had an argument with my husband yesterday and he misunderstood me. I really didn't mean to hurt his feelings. It really was a totally different topic I was talking about. And he got really upset. And it was a lot of growth for me to walk out and say, and to say an apology correctly, and don't mince on your apologies. I said, I am so sorry that I upset you. Never in my life do I want to argue with you or to upset you. For me, that was huge growth because I could have phrased it the old way. I'm sorry you're upset. That ain't an apology. No. I'm sorry that I upset you because it is what happened is what I did upset him. Was it intentional? It's not relevant. It's irrelevant. So, and it was amazing to see how his face changed. And he said, thank you. And I said, okay. So when you're ready to actually talk about what happened, let's just talk about what actually happened. Well, that apology, he, he stopped what he was doing on his iPad and we talked, right? But if I hadn't, been able to say what's important. The guy's feelings are hurt. Who the heck cares if I'm right or wrong? It's so irrelevant, right? So just say, and saying an apology correctly, I'm sorry you're upset is not an apology. I'm sorry I did this. Whether it's intentional or not, it doesn't matter. When I run over the sprinklers of my neighbor's yard, I still say, I'm sorry I did it. Right. So that kind of thing, it just goes into how we feel about ourselves. And it's so hard. It is so hard. There's so many, so many variables of this because our brains start making up the rules for the world when we're very, very young and they are uh, created to to keep us safe. But they're not necessarily the right rules because we're little kids and we're guessing, Um, but we don't necessarily update the rules as we go along. And we're often not taught specifically and overtly, how to apologize, how to set an internal um, validation standard, how to accept a compliment, how to own our gifts. Um, Not because anyone didn't want us to learn those lessons, but because they weren't taught how to do those things either. So you just sort of get these family dynamics that get repeated along the way. So the more we invest our time and energy into looking for newer concepts and newer ways of being and newer ways to learn. You had this moment where you were like, I can, I can make this better. And it could have blown over on its own old style, (laughs) or it could have kind of festered where it was just like, you know, you always think that about me and you're like, it's not even what I said in the first place. Mm -hmm. Or you could walk in there and make a heartfelt apology and strengthen a good relationship even more. You know, so you can say, here was our bad moment. We're going to have bad moments. But but it's important to me to invest in this relationship and make it better. Mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing it. Thank you. I think every day there are so many wins. I think if women would just count their wins, there are so many 
wins. And so many of us are so strong and we're expected to be strong. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel, I don't know, important. Like I'm expected to have a full-time job and be an attentive mother. So because it's expected of me, it's not relevant. No, no, not. It is relevant. It is hard. And I'm not going to say it's not hard. And I'm not going to say I have some perfect work-life balance. It's hard. And I think that the world, I think maybe it's not popular, but I think it's at our own hand. The fact that we are having this conversation means this, what women do to ourselves is at our own hand, right? We, the hard things we do every day are not irrelevant because like I tell my husband, if they were irrelevant, you'd be doing them. But as far (laughs) as I can tell, I'm still doing them, right? So it is hard. It is relevant. It is important. And every day we get up and we put one foot in front of the other and we do it is an accomplishment. We are so strong, so powerful. Whenever I forget that, I say, what other thing can make a human being in your body? (laughs) Like that is pure power right there. The most powerful day of my life was the day I gave birth. I was like, wow, that's a human being. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Like, as, as you know how it happens, but you're like, wow, this is, we are strong. Women are strong. So strong. Yes. God. Yeah. Yeah. And the more we can give ourselves permission to look for and acknowledge the moments that go right, that end of the day tally, the stronger we will become. Because it's that weight of feeling like we're not measuring up that actually hurts us most. And there's so much more that we could be doing um, for ourselves and for others if we could recognize all that we have, have done well, all the things that we've done well. When you were, when you were saying earlier about um, the desire to improve, does that mean I'm not good as I am? I, I heard a, a line years ago that you don't have to be sick to get better. And I think that that really sums it up. Like to to strive to be improving does not mean what we have now isn't good. It's what we have now is something worth investing in and making better. So just like your apology to your husband says, this relationship matters to me and I'm going to make it better. Same thing with this life of mine matters to me and doing the end of the day tally makes it better. And for the people who try their end of the day tally and they find that they're in the negative column, I would really encourage them to pay a lot more attention because that that positive column for most people really is going to outweigh if they can learn and practice and and find people who can help support them in that work to to find those good things because they're there. It's just Mm -hmm. sometimes people aren't absorbing them and they can't see what's right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you when I, when you let go of the I and the labels that you've put on yourself. So when I apologized to my husband, I felt so good. It was like dopamine rush that I had overcome this defensiveness, this need to be right all the time. And when I apologized and he said, thank you. And the look on his face, I actually didn't feel angry or irritated anymore. 
like this stuff works. That's the thing is it really Mm -hmm. is freeing to not be tied to that. I mean, defensiveness has ruled my life in a lot of ways. It's freeing to not be tied to that, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This has been such an amazing conversation with you. I'm so grateful to you for taking time to to talk with me and, and to just go in different directions with this because I think it's all related and it's all important. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. If people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? They can go to our website, which is flvetbehavior.com, flvetbehavior.com. They can also go to therealdognerds.com, which is an online learning platform that my friend and I, my colleague Mindy Cox and I um, have started for pet parents and it has a noise phobia and a reactivity program in it. So they can find more uh, information. You could Google my name and find plenty of information really, but those are the two websites. Wonderful. I will link those up in the show notes and I'm, I'm so grateful to you for joining in today. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for checking out the Pet Professionals Unleashed at Work and Home podcast. If you haven't already done so, please make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any new episodes. And also, it would mean the world to me if you would take a quick moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast player. It really helps get the word out about the podcast and, of course, my featured guests. And if you'd like to immerse yourself in more helpful goodness for pet professionals, come join my free Facebook group, Resilient and Thriving Pet Pros. You can find that at thrivingpetpros.com. Thanks so much. See you next time.